We are back. Boy, it's been a long time, but we're back in the Gospel Project. Remember that thing? We started many years ago on the process of preaching Genesis through Revelation, and now we're back into the letters. We, we did some of the letters, uh, no particular order of these messages. They're just kind of standalone, taking a look at a, a certain letter that was written. Today we're in First uh, Peter, so let's... Uh, We'll turn this on and we'll go to our big idea today. The big idea today is that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. My identity is built on him. Everybody say cornerstone. You can do that better than that. Everybody say cornerstone. All right. See, I went to cornerstone, graduated from cornerstone. Nice to hear you cheering from my alma mater there. Cornerstone. Christ is our cornerstone. We're going to talk about that. We're in the book of 1 Peter 2. Verses 4 through 12, you can get your Bible open or get a gadget open there. We're going to be there mainly today. Not too many other places we need to turn to. But 1 Peter 2. We're going to take a look at this. always fun to look at how Paul writes versus how Peter writes. And we know that Peter was called the stone upon which the church was built. Remember that when Jesus says, Petra, your name is now Petra. Upon this rock, I will build my church. We'll clarify all that. Because, uh, boy, Peter could have got a big head with that, right? He's, he's the corner. Well, he's not the cornerstone. You know that Petra means little rock, little tiny rock? How many of you remember the good old days in the, in the late 70s and 80s where Petra, Christian rock band? How many remember Petra? Oh, I love Petra. And, and Petra always had in their, their stuff that says Petra means rock. And it had R-O-C-K in capital letters. Well, technically, they got it wrong. Because Petra means little R, little O, little C, little K. You're just a little tiny pebble, Petra. Uh, and I love Petra, by the way. Oh, my goodness. I had a great time with them. Uh, got to tour with them a little bit. And John, and oh, my goodness. John was the original puffy shirt. Remember Petra? Remember how John had the puffy shirt? Are you guys not tracking with me? You never watched Seinfeld either? Do I have to give you an update on all that's happened in the 80s and 90s? Remember the puffy shirt from the Seinfeld thing? John used to wear on stage the puffy shirt with the puffy on all the time. And we tease him about that. So anyways, Petra. Peter. The name Peter means tiny rock. He's just a chip off the old block. Jesus. Hear me now. Jesus is the rock. Capital R, capital O, capital C, capital K. And it's upon Jesus that the church is built. But we are all little tiny rocks. You're going to hear that today. We're all little tiny Petras. We're all living stones. And on Christ, the church is built with a bunch of little stones, little Petras. So 1 Peter 2, 4 through 12. Let me read that. Let's read the whole thing. I'll I'll do it. You just follow along. Read the whole context, and we'll go back verse by verse and walk through it. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage, against, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of Scripture this morning. It's a great little chunk. This is a great passage. I want to just break it down, walk you through it today. I picked this as a, a kind of our key verse. It's out of John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Our whole message today is really in this verse. It shows the first you must believe who Jesus is. You got to get Jesus right. You got to know Jesus properly. And if you properly know Jesus, it will change you. See how they become the children of God? Knowing Jesus changes you and me. Knowing Jesus. He's the rock upon which the church is built, but he's also the foundation on which you should build your life. We need to know identity. Everybody say identity. This morning, the whole message is about identity. And so first, let's deal with Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? According to this passage, there's so much you could say. The Bible even at one point says so much was written about him that if we were to put it in libraries, it couldn't contain all the novels of things we could write about Jesus. But we're going to deal with just this passage. What does this passage teach us about who is Jesus Christ? Number one, get it in your notes. If you got the app, you can just click and fill in. Then you can email yourself the notes. Are you making beautiful folders up of all the messages? Wouldn't that be great? A pastor's heart would just be over. You were doing it, Miss Smith. Oh, you made me happy. You just print those all out and you got a whole thing. Man, when I was a youth pastor, all my kids had to have a, a, a little binder. I had, they all had binders and they kept all my notes. Uh, and and, and uh, when we would go to missions trip, that was a requirement. They had to have all the notes of everything that I preached. And it, you could do that. Now, Pastor Shane would never print them out. He wants to save the planet and the trees, and he just keeps them in some cloud someplace. I don't know. So if you do that, that's fine too, Uh, but take notes. You might find it's helpful as you go back and look at them. Number one, who is Jesus Christ? He is the living stone. Everybody say living. Jesus Christ is the living stone. It says that in verse four, the living stone. Living. Why did why, why did the author put this in there? Why? Because the Bible is very clear about idols. The Bible is very clear that idols are dead and no life. They're made of wood and stone and they are nothing. And so when the author is making a point that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, he wants to clarify that he's not talking about a dead rock. He's not saying that Jesus Christ is something that you just carve out of a stone and you just worship the dead rock. No, he is not a dead rock. He's not made of wood or stubble or or stone. He's the living stone. Everybody say living. That's important that you know that our God is alive. We don't serve a dead Savior. We don't serve a, a martyred Savior. All world religions have some sort of a martyr, but they died. 
We are the only religion that claims that we have one that did die, but he came to life. He rose again. Why? Defeating death and defeating sin, the power of sin for all time. We have a living stone. Amen? That's a good thing. Do you know the living stone? Then the author moves on, and in verse 6, he starts talking about what he wants to use as the main analogy. He is the cornerstone. Verse 6. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. I, I put together a little building. I didn't use Legos this time. Sharon, from your view, this is pretty nice, isn't it? Isn't this a nice little rock? Yeah, this is a nice little building. And I laid a st- From people over there, I bet you Bruce is looking at it. Bruce, do you see a problem? Do you see a problem with my building? It does lean a little bit. Do you guys see the lean? Bill, do you see the lean? Can you tell from the front? Not from the front. You can't tell. And I did that on purpose. I built this so that Bill could see it. And then somebody would say, but that's not straight. See, what you don't know is I put a little thing at the bottom. Here, let's do this without everything crashing down. No. This is not the Stand Strength team. I put this little nut behind the the blocks. It was off just by a little bit. And you can't really tell from the front. You're like, what's the problem? It looks pretty straight. But if you got this little nut underneath the back end, it's just leaning a little bit, right? No problem. But Bill... What do you think would happen if I put 10 more blocks on this? It would come tumbling down. And I was hoping nobody would sit there this morning. That would be an awful tragedy. We know today that building on a firm foundation, a cornerstone, is vital. The Leaning Tower of Pisa was built on a swampy land. It's just sinking. It's just sinking down. And if there's a tilt, it's not going to be adequate. It's not going to work for a building. I am amazed. I don't know about you, but I love watching the documentaries about the Mayan people, about the, uh, those that went uh, way before us in Greece that built incredible buildings. I'm amazed by what they built millennia ago because uh, they didn't have power tools. They didn't have big equipment. It astonishes me how good they were at what they do. So many of them, these past civilizations, they uh, worshipped at the equinox. If you, if you haven't watched on Disney+, Plus, uh, the story of the equinox, look that up. Just watch that whole documentary. It's fascinating. The way they built their buildings so that at that one time of the year, at the, the summer equinox, the sun comes in that building and hits certain windows and things. It's amazing what they knew and what they could do. But the best thing that happened is they learned how to start a building right that cornerstone, the cornerstone. Let me read a couple of verses where the Scripture talks about it. Let's look at Isaiah 28 and verse 16. This is where our passage today quotes from. It says, So this is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. That'll create panic if you built a building with a lean. You're always afraid it's going to come tumbling down. But the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the living stone, he is the precious and perfect cornerstone, the Bible says. Oh, they learned how to not only make 
that cornerstone, but they, they learned how to choose which would be the cornerstone. It had to be a perfect rock. You had to test the rocks. You got to test them because you want to make sure there's no hidden fissure, no hidden crack. How many of you ever had a crack in your tooth? Oh, I had a crack in my tooth when I came here. Remember that story? It was awful. I didn't know any dentist, and so somebody sent me to a dentist, and the first thing they did was got out the dry ice. You ever had a dentist do that to you? I got a, something hurts, it hurts really bad. And they're like, well, I think there's a crack, but we can't see it. They did x-rays, we still can't see it. Let me see if I can find it, open your mouth. And they took these, a little thing of dry ice and it would put it on each tooth. Yeah, yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. They started over here and it was like, no, I don't, you feel it? No, no, I don't feel anything. Yeah, next one. Yeah, you feel it? No, I don't feel anything. Next one. Ah! Oh man, as soon as that hit, they know where that crack is. They couldn't see it on an x-ray. They didn't know where it was. I had a dentist in, in my former place that he had a wedge, a big heavy plastic wedge that he would make you bite down on so that would open the crack so he could see it. They're, they're, they're demonic. That's what they are. Any dentist here? Any dental technicians? Then let's all agree. They're demonic. They're sadistic. There's something. Now, I've got a great dentist, Dr. Tahaney here at Oxford Family Dentistry. He's wonderful. He's great. But my goodness, the things, the torture, trying to find the fault. Everybody say Fault. You see, the cornerstone must be tested to find any fault, any minute crack. Because if you built on that cornerstone and it wasn't the best rock, your whole structure's in trouble. Friends, the cornerstone is so important. I found this out today. When they would lay the cornerstone, the perfect stone, the one that they selected as the best, they would lay it perfectly so that the dimensions of the building are set. That one corner lays the whole dimensions of the entire building. If you're off a little bit, it's going to be skewed. Think of the equinox and the sun coming up on that one day. How perfect they had to line that building up. It started with the cornerstone. Had to be laid perfect this way, horizontally. Horizontally or, or laterally, the cornerstone would set the dimensions. But vertically, vertically, had to be true. That's why I've got a plumb line. Some of you look at it and say, your plumb line's just a string with a pulley on it. Yeah, it is. Okay, I don't build stuff with plumb lines, so that's all I had, okay? It's a line with a weight on it. Do you see that? This is perfect and true. A plumb line, a line with a weight on it will always tell you what's exactly straight up and down. The vertical. They would use a plumb line to set this cornerstone because the cornerstone sets the dimensions this way laterally, but they also had to make sure it was true or you'd have a building like this that would tumble. That cornerstone had to be set and it had to be perfect and true. Do you see why the author calls Jesus the cornerstone? The chosen and perfect cornerstone. There's another verse, Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And then in 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Friends, he's our cornerstone. Everybody say cornerstone. I love that God tells us he was chosen and he's faultless. That's why our Savior is sinless. 
Oh, I'm sorry, CNN. I'm sorry, Mr. People that get on CNN and start saying, well, we know Jesus wasn't perfect. You know, nobody's perfect. Of course Jesus sinned. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. I hope you as a Christian gasped when they said that on primetime news. Jesus wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. Excuse me? If we don't have a Savior who is faultless, then we've got one who is faulted and everything comes crumbling down. Do Do you understand? When you hear anybody say, Jesus was just a man, of course he sinned. No, he never sinned. He's the righteous one, the faultless one, the pure and perfect one. He sets the dimensions for our life. Why? Because he's set from above and he's true. Amen? Oh, he's true. Laterally, but more importantly, vertically. From heaven, he's true. And that rock is set perfectly for me and for you. Living stone, cornerstone. And then he is the rejected stone in verse 7. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What is the Bible saying? There's many people back then who had Jesus and they checked him out and they passed him over. They chose a different place. They looked at Jesus and said, no, 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 he's not the one. Let's just, he's not the one. Let's set him aside. Sadly, today, the Jewish people have rejected Jesus as Messiah. He was the rejected one. We know that many people on that day chose to reject. We know many people today choose to reject Him. Do you have people at work or family that you're praying for? I hope you do. Do you have friends that you can invite to Oakwood that need Jesus? I hope you do. I hope you're praying for and talking to people about the cornerstone, the living stone, the perfect one. Because if they reject Him, it costs them everything. He was rejected. The Bible says in Isaiah, he was despised and rejected. He was thrown to the side. No, 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 you're not the one. But he is the one. He was rejected, which made him become the next thing, a stone that makes people stumble. Our Jesus is a living stone, the cornerstone, a rejected stone, and the stone that makes people stumble. Boy, if you get this wrong, friends, or if anybody you know in your life gets this wrong, it means everything. See, Jesus, he either is your cornerstone upon which everything is built, or he's the rejected stone, and you will trip over him your whole life. You will stumble and bumble and mumble all the way through, and you'll come to a judgment and find out that that rejection made you fall. This is important. Are you with me? This is why the, the Bible tells us that Jesus must be accepted as God. Because if he's rejected, it will cause you not only just to stumble, but in the end, you will fall. As a youth pastor, took kids all over the world. Loved taking kids camping. And we went to, uh, oh, it wasn't a great place. It was just up north somewhere. I can't remember the name of the town right now. South of Mears Heart, somewhere south of there. Uh, Just a little campground, White Lake, or I don't remember what it was. But we had several campsites, and we put up all sorts of tents. And uh, it was getting 
dark. We'd got everything set up. All the tents were all set up, and we're getting ready to, to, to finish dinner, and, and the kids want to play, and I think at this point I had a lot of middle school kids, and they're just full of energy and want to play. They could set up tents, cut firewood, and still play. You and I need a three-week vacation after that. But they, they keep going. And I remember we had a visitor with us, one kid had never been there before, and he would not wear shoes. He was barefooted all the time. And I kept telling him, I was like, hey, listen, buddy, you probably want to throw some shoes on. And, and he's like, I like running around. My feet are tough. I'm like, okay, but I just, you know. Be... And then it got darker and darker and darker. Dusk goes to barely can see. And I remember grabbing him one time and I said, listen, it's getting dark. You probably ought to put your shoes on because when you can't see, you're going to hit something. I just, you, you put some shoes on. Listen to me now. Well, it got dark. I was back at the tent with Julie, and we were getting stuff uh, prepared for the next day, and the kids were playing some kind of tag or hide-and-seek or just crazy running around, whatever it was. And I remember I heard it distinctly. You could hear all the, ha, 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 yay, ha, ha, yay, ha, ha, bing. I heard a high-pitched ding like a bell, like the Liberty Bell had been rung. And immediately I knew somebody ran into a fire ring. And it was the kid with no shoes. I heard, bing! Ah! I remember running in the dark to the scream, and there he is. And I remember turning a light on, and I heard him, he was laying back on his back, and he goes, is it broken? Is it broken? And I looked at his foot, and his, everything was this, and his toe was that way. And I said, Yep. I don't even have to guess, buddy. Your foot is broken. Your toe is sideways. You should have put on some shoes. In the darkness, you will stumble. It will cost you. As painful as that was, and taking a kid to the emergency room, and oh, that's another whole story. I talked about dentist today. You ever see an emergency room doctor put a toe back again? Woo! Had to admit, I kind of went, told you so. I'm not gifted with the spiritual gift of mercies. How much more costly is it when we talk about eternity than a fire ring and a barefoot? What you do with Jesus is going to determine whether you fall or whether you rise with Christ. Isn't it everything? We got to get Jesus right. That's not the whole message because it goes on to talk about who we are. We got to know who Jesus is, but this passage also says who we are. Number one, those who believe and have accepted Jesus Christ and have said, I do know him properly. He is God's son that he sent, who lived a perfect sinless life, who died on the cross with no sin to take my sin and your sin and put it to death once and for all. He was the atoning sacrifice. That's who Jesus was. And if there's been a time in your life when you've asked God to forgive you of your sin and come into your life, then this is who you are. This is who we are. We're a royal priesthood, says in verse 9. That's so important. In the Old Testament days, the tribe of Levite, that's who the royal priesthood went through. The Melchizedekian line we learned in college. It was all about the Melchizedekian line. Had to go through David. That's the line of priesthood. And now we get to the New Testament. And, and, and no longer are we going to the temple and seeing the priest from the line of Levi. We're, we're, not, we're not going there anymore. Why? Because you've been made a priest. I've been made a priest. I no longer have to go to somebody else to have my sins absolved. I go directly to the throne of God through Jesus 
the cornerstone who gives me access to the Father. You need to know that. And I love that it's Peter telling us this because he's humble. He knew that, that Jesus had said, hey, Petra, upon this rock I'll build my church. But he's saying, I'm not the Pope. I am not the chief priest. And that's important because there are whole religions built on Peter being the Pope. There's whole religions built on a priest that you need to go through. And we learn in the New Testament that it's not so. The man who was told he was Petra tells us, you, hear me, you are a royal priesthood. You go to God on your own. Not only that, in same verse, number nine, we are a holy nation. We are pure. You are pure. You might not feel pure as we walk through this filthy world and make choices sometimes. You might not feel pure. But listen, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you stand faultless before God. You've been made pure and holy. And so we're told in Scripture that you're a priesthood, a holy nation. You're pure. What else do we learn? We learn that we are God's possession. I love that. The latter part of verse 9. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Aren't you glad that you're God's? You're his. Today as you leave, just remind yourself, I'm his. I'm his child, and he loves me. He's got me. I stand before God, and I represent my own self. I'm the priesthood. I'm pure and holy, and I am God's possession. It goes on then to tell us that we are a people. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Aren't you glad you're a people? I'm glad I'm a people. I'm glad I'm a people. I'm glad that I'm, I'm not all alone, outcast by myself. I'm a people. And we need to know that. Oakwood, I mean, we are a people. I call you the great family at Oakwood, and we are a great family. And it, it, it breaks your pastor's heart as people meander away. We've had several families that have chosen over the COVID break to go someplace else. Some for good reasons, some for bad reasons. And it breaks my heart. You need to know your pastor just I, he doesn't sleep when I hear that so-and-so has decided to go to Kensington or so-and-so has gone over to Hunters Creek. So-and-so has gone over the... During the break, they decided to make a change. And, and that just breaks my heart. You know why? I understand the global church... Some of you are like, what's the big deal? We're all God's people. We can go to any church. I don't know. I love the global church, and I'm part of the global church, but I'm part of this great family. God brought me to Oakwood, and we're a people here. We're a people. You're my people. I'm your people. And it's good to have family, amen? Jan, isn't it good to have family? Your family's beautiful. I love your family. Thank you for the card. Jan wrote a beautiful card to you as a church, thanking you as we honored Steve's passing and the meal that we provided for them. They are a great family. But it's also kind of neat that we're a family. We came around Jan. We're your people, Jan. I declare today, you got people. Look at her smile. I mean, when you, when you, when you hear that, you go, I got people? I got people? I got an entourage? Yeah, you do. The great family at Oakwood is yours. And you're ours. Guys, I'm sorry, and if it hurts people's feelings, I apologize. I don't mean to make it sound this way, but man, I'm loyal, and I want you to be loyal. I want you to feel part of the family and stick with the family. I just, we're people. God's people. We're his possession. But 
man, it's important that we recognize the power of being people together. And then this one you might not like either, but we're pitied. I chose the word pitied, and, and some of you are like, oh, no, I don't like pity. I don't, yes, you do when it comes to God. Yes, you do. Trust me, you want to be pitied when it comes to God. He is the one that is the judge. He's the one that will choose. And besides, pitied was, had a P on it, and it goes great in the outline. Pitied. He says, once you had no mercy, but now you received mercy. I'm glad that my God looked down on me, and he said, I pity the man. I pity the man. He's hopeless and helpless in his sin. I need to do something for him. He can't do anything for himself. Amen? He sent me Jesus. And it's upon this rock I built a life and trust in him. And I'm safe and secure upon Jesus. That's who we are. Can you say, that's who I am? Go ahead and say it. That's who I am. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, pure. God's possession. You're a people. And we're pitied, amen, by God that he would take us. We are the living stones being built into a spiritual house. Oh, that cornerstone gets set and the dimensions are laid out and it's true and pure, the plumb line from heaven. It's true and right. And upon this rock, the church is built. But it's built with me and you. You're one of the stones involved in building the spiritual house. That's who we are. Well, there's more. How did we become? We know who Jesus is. We know who we are. How, did, how does it happen? I love that little verse where he explains it. He tells us that God called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. It was an act of God. Friends, uh, I, don't, I don't want to get into election today. I don't want to go down that road of, of making you wonder, am I Arminian or Calvin or who's Arminian or who's Calvin? Uh, uh, some of you think that might be a pair of jeans. It's not. Uh, there's been debates forever, for millennia, about Calvinism and Arminianism. You can't get apart. You can't get away. There's no other option when you read Scripture but that a holy God acted on your behalf. He called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You didn't just decide on your own. You didn't just wake up one day and said, you know what? I'm going to be changed. No, God must move. Once again, I bring you to the Scripture where it says you are dead in your sins. And dead is dead. I have never had any help from a casket at any funeral. No person who's dead has ever said, hey, don't forget to tell them about it. Nope. Dead is dead. God moves to bring you to life. God calls you. God is the one that gives us salvation. And so that's just... One point there. How did we become? God called us. If anything, today go home and thank, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. You've made a difference in my life. I was at the house yesterday, and I don't know if the family's watching this today. I just want to say it meant a lot to me. At the end of meeting with this family and doing a memorial for Aiden, heading back to my car, I was talking to some of the family. I got to the family and a young man, I'm going to guess he's in his 20s, uh, late 20s. If it's younger than that, I apologize. But a young man came to me and he says, hey, I know you don't recognize me. But when you pulled in, I said to my friend, I know that guy. That's PD. That's PD. He said, PD, I was a teenager at Camp Barakel when you preached God's word. 
And I gave my life to Jesus and it changed me. I was headed in one direction and now my life has taken a different direction. You know how much that meant to me? Yesterday was a rough day. But that moment I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. God changes lives, but it's Him that calls and works. Lastly today, how are we to live? If the identity of Jesus is crucial, get it right. Then we know who we are. We know that it's not by our own work or it's not by our own doing that we became something. God puts us together. He's building His church. We get all that right. Well, then how are we to live? I love how it just, you can't leave without that. And it's in this passage. How are we to live? Well, the author tells us we're live as branded as kingdom people. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. We're kingdom people. Everybody say kingdom people. I've been telling you about that. We've been pushing that. You're different. You're a kingdom. We're a people, but we're kingdom people. And in this passage, we're told that we're branded. You're marked as one of his. Remember last week, I talked about the sheep and the goats. He knows who's his. You got the birthmark on you. If you're his, he knows you're his. So we're branded as kingdom people. Therefore, we're different. We're exiles. We're foreigners. We're not of this place. Yeah, we're here, but this is a temporary thing. But we're branded as kingdom people. He goes on to say that we are battling sin. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Are you battling sin? There's a battle going on. And if you don't know there's a battle going on, I guarantee you you're losing. You're losing if you don't know there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. We as believers, as Christ, little rocks, we're building a life on a foundation, so we must know that we're branded as His. I'm part of the people of God. And I'm battling sin. I do wage war every day against my earthly desires and temptations. I do war. We're battling. We're branded, we're battling, and we're being an example. Verse 12 Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. We're setting an example. That's why I've been teaching and telling you we're kingdom people. During COVID, you're a kingdom person. Are we different than the world? Are we just being just like them? Let's be branded. Let's be battling sin and let's be being an example that the world would see and say, they might stumble over you. You know, they might reject what you believe and you might trip them up in your frustration to them, but they can't deny you're different. Hopefully in a good way. Hopefully in a good way. Be an example. And finally, we need to bring the glory to God. It says as it wraps up verse 12, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's First Peter Two, four through 12. Do you know the cornerstone? Do you know that you're a living rock being built into a spiritual house? God does that and we're to live differently. I pray for that in your life.